Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's Around the House. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G. This is where you get all your home improvement advice every single week. Thanks for joining me today. This is our midweek special. This is that show that we add in the middle of the week to make sure that, well, we get you the latest and greatest information that maybe didn't make last weekend's show or won't make this weekend's show. Now, we've got some great tips today, and this is one that came up. You know, I see trends, and trends sometimes mean that there's a lot of questions, and now that we're getting into fall, this is one of them. And it all came down to how do you deal with that self-cleaning oven? Do you use it? Do you not use it? And I've had two people that had self-cleaning oven issue questions this week. So I wanted to dive into this for a minute because this is some pretty good information for you that could save you money. Now, here's my advice. If you have a brand new range that is in warranty, I would make sure you follow the directions a couple times and use the self-cleaning function within that warranty period. Because I tell you what, I see more often than not, somebody will have that brand new oven or range They'll have it for over the year warranty or two-year warranty, whatever it is. And they'll go to use it. They'll use it all year long and 12, 16 months or 25 months in, depending on the warranty period, they use the self-cleaning oven for the first time and it overheats and melts something inside. Now, I like the self-cleaning oven feature, but if there's one thing you can do in that oven that exposes any issues that maybe were missed in production or a design flaw in it, it's a self-cleaning feature that's going to do it for you. So it's something to really pay attention to. Now, you're going to risk every time you do it, especially if you just bought a house and you moved in, you know, you're going to assume that that self-cleaning function has, well, you know, worked over the years, and you're going to hope it's going to be okay. But this is just one of those things that, you know, I don't ever recommend doing it right before the holidays. You know, if you're looking at it going, man, I got a week or two before I really need this oven for something big, great time to clean it. Now, some of the things to do when you're self-cleaning, first off, if you're ever making a mess in the oven, it's always good to let it cool down, wipe it out, get as much out of the inside as you can. And then second, follow the directions you can always get online if you don't still have the book on the self-cleaning feature. Most of the time, they want you to take the racks out of the oven and put them to the side because... That gets so hot, it will weaken the racks. So in almost every case, they say to remove the racks out of the oven. So, of course, follow those instructions to make sure that you're doing it correctly. And then go through the cycle. But here's the thing. I don't like baking something quality right after that. Because they're still, even though you wipe it out afterwards, 
you kind of lose the quote-unquote seasoning in there. It can be a little charred, a little smoky in there sometimes. So even when you use it days later, so just keep in mind, you probably don't want to do the big dish right after that because it can be a little brutal in there. So you make sure you do it, but just follow the directions. And if you've got a range, you know, here's another tip too. If you've got painted or thermofoil or a vinyl-covered door right next to it, take those doors off, open the drawers up, make sure that none of that stuff is near that because all it takes is a little bit of a door leak and you can bubble paint or you can take the vinyl off the front of those cabinets and cause a bigger problem. So make sure that you do that. Um, When I've had kitchens with thermofoil in the past, I would actually pop the doors off real quick and just set them aside so I didn't bake those in case there was any kind of a heat leak because quite frankly, it gets darn hot. So it's something to consider, but uh, when in doubt, go ahead and use it, but just make sure that there's a chance to note that it might not work after. So it's probably the riskiest move you're going to do on that thing for it not working later. So just careful with the holidays and stuff coming up. Well, one of the other things I wanted to talk about today is some things you can do around the house to save some money on your electricity bill. Now, our power... All of these things are getting more expensive. I don't think anywhere it's getting cheaper. So I wanted to cover some tips. Now, I did create a video that I did with Sense. It's over at AroundTheHouseOnline.com where I give you some really good step-to-step instructions on how to save some money around your house and how to do it. So there's a great tip over there. Just go to the bottom of the page, AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Look for the Sense video. And Sense is that home energy monitoring system that I have at my house that I've had for a number of years that tells me exactly what every appliance, every light, every fixture that has electricity is doing inside my house so I can see what my energy usage is. And then I can measure to see, is that beer refrigerator out in the garage costing me more than if I got a new one? What's it going to pay off? What's my energy use here and there? So these are all things that we should all take into account. And Sense does a great job for me on that. And uh, that's a video I created. But let's talk about some of those things in case you didn't catch the video. Now, there's a couple things that you should keep in mind on. One, heating water, if you have electricity, is one of the most expensive things on your power bill. Unless you've got a heat pump water heater. Now, of course, if you've got an electric water heater and you change over to a heat pump water heater, that's going to be a huge savings in my house when I did it. I went uh, to a 80-gallon heat pump water heater, and that saved me about 200 bucks a year in costs to do that. So that's a huge difference when it comes to saving energy. And so that was good. But if you've got that regular water heater and you don't want to change it out or it's in a space where a heat pump water heater doesn't work, Here's some of the tips I want to see. I want to make sure that you're maintaining that water heater. You know, if you've put it in a few years ago, make sure that you're flushing it. You turn the power off. Open up the drain valve down below. Make sure you drain that water out into a good space that can take it. If you put it in the yard and it's hot water, you're going to burn it. So maybe get it running down the driveway or another place. Uh, Just be careful with plants because you can bake those plants with 130, 140 degree water coming out of that water heater. So be careful where you put it. But flush that out, get it all cleaned up, and uh, make sure if you're on a well, it's even more so. If you've got hard water, it's even worse. But make sure you flush that um, every couple of years if you've got decent water. And if you've got really hard water on a well, I've had to do it every six months. And so what can happen is, is that sediment can get built up, and now your lower element is just heating sediment. It's not heating water. 
and uh, you'll have uh, low hot water coming out of that thing. You won't have the capacity, and that's just something to consider. So make sure you've got that. Make sure you've got it adjusted correctly. And when in doubt, you know, here's one thing to keep in mind. I, I get worried on water heaters that are 10 years old or older. Because, you know, that's about the average lifespan is about a decade on a water heater. Eight to 10 years is pretty average out there. But if you go take a 10-year water heater that's not been maintained and you start cracking that thing open and doing, you could be opening a can of worms. You're probably best just to leave it until you replace it because you could open up a bigger problem with that. Uh, All of a sudden, things are rusted in, things are corroded, and now things don't want to come apart. You know, the the sediment could be so built up underneath. I've had this before where the sediment's so built up in the bottom of that thing that I turned the valve on the bottom and nothing comes out. And I literally had to sit there, turn the water off to it and open the uh, pressure valve on it and use an air hose and uh, burp air up into it to create a spot just to be able to get water to come out. And then it took out all this calcium out of the inside of it. It was a mess. And I actually had to go back in through one of the holes where I took the element out with a uh, with a hose, little tiny thin garden hose, uh, duct taped onto my shop vac to get all the junk out of the bottom just so I had some place clean because I had, like I said, way too much sediment in the bottom of it. Uh, at that point, I probably should have replaced the water heater, but I made it last another couple of years until I ended up having to replace it. So just be careful with that. That's one of them right there. Another one is those heating... Um, you know, those cooling, actually, if you talk about refrigerators, let's get into that first before we get into heating and cooling. When was the last time you popped off that lower grill on the refrigerator? You know, that one down at the bottom. When did you pop that off and vacuum that out and get all the dust bunnies out of there? If you've got that thing loaded up with pet hair, dust, lint, guess what? That refrigerator is using a lot more electricity because those coils are how it transfers heat. And if you've got a blanket around it, guess what? Heat doesn't transfer well. So it's costing you more money there. So a little shop vac down there. Be careful not to damage the coils. Just get down there around them. Don't really touch them because they are very delicate. So be careful when you put anything down there. Make sure uh, when in doubt, unplug it out of the back. Uh, and just make sure you don't do anything to do damage to that unit. And the other one here too is making sure, when was the last time in your front load washing machine you changed or checked the filter? Yeah, most of these have a filter. You can jump online, take a look at your model number, and see. Mine, I've got an LG unit, uh, a stack unit that's pretty cool, and it's right in the front. There's a little panel there that I can go in. And how you do this is make sure that you, uh, you know, get the cycle drained, follow the directions on it, but I get a little pan, I drain the water out of it, and then loosen this plug out. And that is where you find all the hairpins, bolts, screws, pennies, dimes, nickels, quarters, and anything else that got caught up in there. Because what happens, this is where this can save you money. And this is a pretty cool little tip right here. If you get that stuff out of there, if it's all plugged up, what happens is is you're putting wetter clothes in the dryer. So instead of it spinning, getting all the water out of there, it's not. It's only getting so much water out of there. And so you're putting very wet clothes in the dryer, so the dryer has to work twice as hard to do it. So make sure every six months to a year, you're changing that filter out there. Now, I had a GE unit that was just durables all get it. I had that thing for probably 12 or 15 years, front loader, but I had to take the whole front panel off on that thing. So there were screws and and bolts and stuff to get to it. But uh, I did that about every year and it made a huge difference. So if you pull those towels out of your your front load washer and they seem to be a little damp or a little heavy, time to check that filter 
and get that taken care of. Now, I've got a whole bunch of other tips on that video, which you can find at aroundthehouseonline.com. Across the bottom of the website there, you'll find it right there, and you can watch it with my tips on what to do there to keep that energy bill just a little bit down. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about today was electric vehicle charging. There are so many people out there that are looking at plug-in electric vehicles, and, you know, I love them. I wouldn't mind having one. That F-150 Lightning or the Silverado looks really cool. Uh, of course, I'm not going to tow with it. We're, we're years away from that making a ton of sense, but I'd love to do something like that. However, comma, I want to warn everybody, before you go out looking at that EV, you need to look at your house first to see if it's going to be able to charge that correctly. Because, yeah, they do have a lot of these have a charger you can plug into a regular outlet, but guess what? That could take 24 hours or more to charge. That's not going to work really well for you. So many times you want to have at least a 50-amp charger. But here's the problem. There are so many homes, millions of homes out there, with 100 amps or less charging capacity coming out of that, well, not charging capacity. You've got 100 amps or less power coming into the house completely. So if you take half of that and put it towards your charger, you have got a world to hurt. So if you've got a 100-amp panel, Basically, you need to plan on making sure that you do a panel upgrade. That could be $2,000. That could be $10,000, depending on what has to happen. So make sure that you have that in your budget to do that. Now, if you've got a 200-amp panel and you've got a large house and you pop open that breaker panel and go, wow, I have absolutely no room in the panel, now you could have a problem. So that's when you call your electrician and see you might have to put in a 400-amp service. You might have to do some changing around on that panel, put a bigger panel in that'll accept more breakers if that works. Maybe you don't have enough slots in there. But these are things that you should explore. The first thing before you go buy that, make sure that you've got the ability to charge it at home. Or maybe down the street, you've got a supercharging station or something like that where it makes sense where you can go down there on the way home or during the evening, pop it off over there and and, uh, do some email follow-up while that's charging. So there's a lot of different things you can do, but just make sure that you've got a plan for that because... That's my biggest concern is is that there are so many homes out there and so many people don't understand that what they need to do to be able to have a fast charging solution. That's something you got to keep an eye on and make sure because here's the problem. If you don't have enough power in that panel, one, you're going to overload the system. Two, it's not going to charge the car as fast as you think. You're not going to get as many you know, miles per charge out of that whole thing. So it's going to really slow down your charging. And then three, that could be a fire. So you want to make sure and get that dialed in. So take a look at that panel before you buy that EV. Make sure you've got it ready. And if you've got it, if you're going to buy two of them, man, that's going to take even more power. So you're looking at a, you know, probably at least got to have 100 amps going out to that. So many times you are going to need that 400 amp service to put two independent car chargers in there so you can charge both cars at the same time so if you've got uh, two people in the house that are charging plan for that to be expensive as well and make sure you've got that in the budget because guess what that's not covered as part of the price of the car all right everybody we've got a great show ahead this weekend that you don't want to miss we've got robin daly we're going to talk interior design color furniture all that stuff and then hour number two we've got my buddy dave sellinger From Deep Sentinel, we're going to talk home security and a lot of tips to keep that house all tidied up and safe for you and your family and friends. All right, everybody, have a great rest of the week. Happy midweek special. We'll talk to you on Saturday. Thanks again for listening to Around the House.
Hey, it's Eric G from around the house. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.